0: Dear Petro content subscribers, welcome back to this week's periodical podcast where we're going to discuss the content in this week's periodical titled, The True Cost of Renewable Energy. We actually released it just this past Wednesday, July 29th, and kind of how we started out these segments every week so far. Um, I'm sure most of you have heard this before, but... For those of you that that might be new here, you know, welcome, like you could uh, swing by and listen to our podcast here. But my name is Kevin, and I'm joined by the host of your Monday Madness podcast, Tavis. Hey there. And we are excited to bring you yet another episode here.
1: Speaking of which, make sure you head over to our website at rarepetro.com and our LinkedIn page so that you can subscribe and stay up to date on all things happening in oil and gas.
0: Now Let's get into it. So as the world enters this new age after the coronavirus, policymakers have begun to shift their concentration from pandemic challenges to economic recovery. A major focus will be how to recover the lost jobs as a result of worldwide economies shutting down and forcing society to shelter in place for months on end. One focal point of economic recovery involves infrastructure restructuring plans, including those for the energy industry. Green energy advocacy groups are doubling down on pressure to continue, or even increase, the use of wind, solar power, and electric cars. What gets left out of the discussion is any serious consideration for the broad environmental and supply chain implications of this clean, renewable energy.
1: What these green energy groups do not realize is all energy-producing machinery must be fabricated from materials extracted from the Earth. In other words, no energy system is actually 100% renewable, since all machines require the continual mining and processing of millions of tons of raw material during fabrication and the disposal of hardware at the life cycle's end once it inevitably wears out. Compared with hydrocarbons, green machines entail on average a tenfold increase in the quantities of materials extracted and processed to produce the same amount of energy. Compared to fossil fuels and other energy generation methods, what is the true cost of green renewable energy?
0: Now we want to make this pretty clear. We're we're not out here to say that these renewable sources are not, you know, the way of the future. All we're just trying to say is instead of this push towards renewable energy, we should really be focused on a push towards clean energy. And and while these two terms are often interchangeably, especially when these, you know, greed and advocacy groups that we just talked about. Are really pressuring policymakers to campaign for the use of wind, solar, and electric vehicles. We really must ask ourselves as we shift away from fossil fuels: what is this cost of this true energy? And you know, cost can be anything from you know the the actual monetary cost to um, things that we're going to be discussing today, like uh, uh, mining and also you know decommissioning and uh,
1: recycling in these. Exactly, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we just want to highlight the implications of the life cycle, and like you said, that supply chain all the way down to when you decommission it. It is possible for it to be net positive, but there's a lot of things to consider before you get to the end of that. So now, before we get too far into this, let's
0: discuss, you know, the different types of renewables, and more specifically, the the types that we'll be discussing in this podcast today. So renewable energy or clean energy comes from natural sources or processes that are constantly replenished, even if their availability depends on time and weather. Examples of renewable energy include sunlight for solar panels, wind for wind turbines, water movement for hydroelectric power, and heat from the earth for geothermal energy. With increasingly innovative and less expensive ways to capture and retain nature's forces, Renewables are becoming a more important power source, accounting for more than one-eighth of United States-based electricity generation. The expansion of renewables is happening on both a large and a small scale, from residential rooftop solar panels selling power back to the grid to giant offshore wind farms. Now, of the many types of renewable sources available on the market today, our analysis today is going to investigate solar panels, electric vehicles, wind turbines, hydroelectric, and geothermal power generation to determine how clean these green sources of energy truly are. The solar or photovoltaic cells are made from silicon and other materials that transform sunlight directly into electricity. Since the sun is not always shining, solar cells are connected to battery banks in order to store energy for future use when the sun is not out. You know, think nighttime, um, intense storms, things like that. Solar supplies a little more than 1% of US electricity generation, but nearly a third of all new generating capacity came from solar back in 2017, second only to natural gas at the time. Luckily, solar systems do not produce air pollutants or greenhouse gases as long as they're responsibly sited. Therefore, most solar panels have few environmental impacts beyond the manufacturing and recycling process. Electric vehicles, like solar panels, utilize large batteries that can be recharged when plugged into an electric outlet. Again, similar to solar systems, electric vehicles have very few environmental impacts beyond the manufacturing and
1: recycling process. And then we've got wind turbines. Wind turbines are nearly the size of skyscrapers whose turbines spin in the wind to generate electricity. Wind, which accounts for a little more than 6% of US generation, has become the cheapest energy source in many parts of the country and can be placed anywhere with high wind speeds, such as hilltops, open plains, or even offshore in open water. Hydropower is the largest renewable energy source for electricity in the United States, though wind energy is soon expected to take over the lead. Hydropower typically relies on fast-moving water in a large river or rapidly descending water from a high point, like a dam, and converts that force of the water into electricity by spinning a generator's turbine blades. Large hydroelectric plants, or mega dams, are often considered to be a clean, renewable energy source, even though they can cause substantial environmental damage as they divert and reduce natural flows, restricting access for animal and human populations relying on rivers. Lastly, geothermal power harnesses the power of the Earth's core to generate electricity. Drilling deep wells brings very hot underground water to the surface as a hydrothermal resource, creating steam, which is then pumped through a turbine to generate electricity. Geothermal plants typically have low emissions if they pump the steam and water used back into the reservoir. There are ways to create geothermal plants where underground reservoirs are not present, but concerns exist. They may increase the risk of earthquakes in areas already considered geological hotspots. So now, Tavis,
0: of all of these renewable sources, how many have you seen? What are your thoughts on these guys?
1: I've seen a lot of wind energy because I grew up in Iowa and every time I would come out to Colorado for school or go back by car, you see plenty of wind turbines in cornfields. And that was pretty cool. But otherwise, I'm seeing an emergence of solar panels as more and more uh, government agencies or local governments push to incentivize people to include them in homes. But outside of that, I don't know if I've seen a massive power generating dam before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I see, you know, Anytime you're out on the, you know, the the eastern plains over there of Colorado heading over to um, really just anywhere where it's, it's fairly flat over there, you know, the wind picks up pretty well, makes a lot of sense to have those wind turbines out there. And like you said, seeing a lot more solar panels on roofs, but um, I've actually gone down and seen, you know, um, the Hoover Dam, stuff like that, you know, some pretty impressive engineering feats. Um, but I actually have an uncle who uses geothermal energy to actually heat his house.
1: Did he drill his own well?
0: He actually did. Um, I mean, not him personally, but his company actually deals, deals with that. And I always think it's funny because we go and visit him around Christmas and the the inside of his house is always set to, I think something like 67 or 68 degrees. So (laughs) in the winter time, it's, it's pretty chilly, but I think you can imagine in the hot summer months, it's, probably pretty nice to come into a nice, nice cooled off house. Oh, yes. All right. Well, let's start talking about the the mining and fabrication process of getting these renewables to the market. So for everything, everything, built or fabricated, we can trace a straight line back up the manufacturing stream to where heavy equipment was used to extract minerals from the earth. It is obvious that there is a measurable tonnage in the materials used to build bridges, skyscrapers, and cars, but it's less obvious the amount of materials that are used to produce energy or energy-making machines. Different forms of energy involve radically different types and quantities of materials to build energy harvesting machines. Whether it's liquids extracted from the earth to power internal combustion engines or solids used to build batteries, the physical elements used to power society all come from the earth and they must be extracted in some way or another.
1: Over the past century, there have been two significant developments in the extraction sector. First, the United States has not expanded domestic mining, and in most cases, the country's production of nearly all minerals has declined. Second, the demand for minerals has dramatically increased. These two intersecting trends have led to significant transformations in supply chain dependencies. As recently as 1990, the U.S. was the world's number one producer of minerals, but today it is in seventh place. Even though the nation has vast mineral reserves worth trillions of dollars, the United States has over half of domestic needs imported and is now 100% dependent on imports for 17 key minerals and another 29 less prevalent minerals. As a result, any significant expansion of today's level of green energy consumption will create an unprecedented increase in global mining for necessary minerals, radically exasperate existing environmental and labor challenges in emerging markets where many mines are located, and dramatically increase U.S. imports and the vulnerability of America's energy supply chain.
0: So replacing hydrocarbons with green machines at current levels will vastly increase the mining of various critical minerals around the world. Furthermore, oil, natural gas, and coal are still needed to produce the concrete, steel, plastics, and purified minerals used in such machines. In fact, the energy equivalent of 100 barrels of oil is used in the process to fabricate a single battery that can store the equivalent energy of one barrel of oil. Additionally, a single electric vehicle car battery weighing about 1,000 pounds requires the extraction and processing of about 500,000 pounds of materials. Averaged over the battery's lifespan, each mile of driving an electric car consumes five pounds of the earth while using an internal combustion engine consumes about 0.2 pounds of liquids per mile. Not only is the extracting process much more costly, the end result is a vehicle that is not much more efficient than existing internal combustion engines.
1: All forms of renewable green energy require roughly comparable quantities of materials in order to build machines that capture nature's energy, the sun, wind, and water. Wind farms come close to matching hydroelectric dams in terms of material consumption, but solar farms outpace both. In all three cases, the largest share for material amount needed is found in conventional components like concrete, steel, and glass. Compared with a natural gas power plant, all three require at least 10 times as much material in tons mined, moved, and converted into machines to deliver the same quantity of energy. From a mining and fabrication perspective, Green energy is not as clean as it is made out to be.
0: So there's quite a bit to kind of you know dissect and and dive into here. And and the first thing I want to bring up is is the fact that you know back in the day, United States, you know back in the 1990s, you know we were the number one producer of minerals. Mining was a huge industry here in the United States. But you know over time, with regulations and um, kind of lack of desire to to expand that sector, you know we we've kind of fallen behind and as a result in the future, if we're not, if we're needing, when we need more of these rare earth minerals, we're just gonna be having to to outsource those to other countries, other countries in which, you know, maybe working conditions aren't nearly as uh, optimal, say as in the United States, um, environmental challenges, stuff like that. So um, another thing that we really have to consider while investigating this is, you know, when we're mining for these materials, it's not necessarily here in our own backyard. It's, it's everywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, definitely. I actually took an energy politics course and I wrote my final paper on rare earth minerals. And the United States doesn't mine and process those like other countries do, say Mongolia or parts of China. And all we do is we just outsource it to there, have them process it, have them take the hit for all of those toxic byproducts then we collect the rewards for very cheap so it is something to consider because if you put it out of sight out of mind yeah then green energy looks pretty damn awesome but there's a lot that goes on that we neglect at this point
0: well and 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 i think that uh that that statistic that we were just talking about the fact that you know a single electric car battery weighs in about a thousand pounds i'm not sure if this is you know ratio here but if the car battery weighs 1,000 pounds, that means you have to extract and process 500,000 pounds of materials. I mean, that's just absurd.
1: That That is insane. That is energy-dense. And the amount of probably oil being used to power those machines, not only power but build or extract the minerals for those said machines as well, we need a balanced portfolio. We can't go all to one or all to the other. They're so connected.
0: Absolutely. So kind of taking this... this process a little bit further. Now we're going to start to discuss the, the recycling and decommissioning process. So as I'm sure all of you guys know, all machines wear out. As a result, there is nothing actually renewable about the green machines mentioned above since one must continually extract materials to build replacements for the pieces that wear out. All of this requires mining, processing, transportation, and ultimately the disposing of millions of tons of materials much of which is functionally or economically unrecyclable. For example, building a single 100 megawatt wind farm requires nearly 30,000 tons of iron ore, 50,000 tons of concrete, and 900 tons of non-recyclable plastic just for the huge turbine blades. Interestingly, for solar hardware, the tonnage of cement, steel, and glass is actually 1.5 times greater than that for wind, and it just produces the same energy output. By investigating the current trends in renewable energy infrastructure investments, by 2050, the quantity of worn-out solar panels, much of which, like we have mentioned, is non-recyclable, will constitute double the tonnage of all of today's global plastic waste, along with over 3 million tons per year of non-recyclable plastic from decommissioning the wind turbine blades. Even more eye-opening is the fact that by 2030, more than 10 million tons per year of batteries from solar energy systems and electric vehicles will become garbage. This is garbage that cannot be recycled and can leak harmful toxins back into the environment from which they were extracted and modified.
1: Now, how can this problem be solved? Well, innovative solutions. Take the oil and gas industry as a base example, the industry we have the most experience with. Before carbon reduction requirements and environmental concerns, the industry had free reign over their actions to pull carbon from beneath the surface. Over time, best practices were developed with the industry leaders and government officials ensuring the longevity of the industry and environment went hand in hand. With the continued development of the renewable sector into the future, more innovative solutions must be brought to the table to ensure that the staying power of the industry truly aligns with the best interest of the environment. Renewable energy sources may not generate greenhouse gas emissions, but they are far from environmentally friendly. With continued investments and subsidies from the government, this energy source can truly become another source of viable energy needed to take the energy industry to the next level.
0: So kind of as Tavis just said there, you know, if we want to, you know, pave this path forward for green energy, renewable energy into the future, we kind of just have to take a step back and figure out, OK, how are we going to make this process a little cleaner, a little more efficient, less environmentally impactful?
1: Exactly. I mean, going back to the turbines, I think that's a great example. Like you mentioned, it's 900 tons of non recyclable plastic. Well, when those blades wear out, they get worn by the air by air friction and resistance, actually, and go smooth and become less efficient. One of the most popular ways to dispose of them now is to take them to what are turbine blade graveyards, where they excavate a bunch of earth, put the old blades there, and then bury them. It's something you don't hear a lot of because it kind of takes away from the green energy vision that people have, but if we can start targeting those small things and implementing solutions that make it more green, then this could be a very beneficial technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we currently take all of our, you know, global plastic waste and, you know, recycle it, reuse it, you know, kind of like that reduce, reuse, recycle. So I'm wondering, you know, down the road, if there's going to be ways of okay, instead of just taking these massive, massive—I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these wind turbine blades—but when they're driving them down the highway, just in sections, these things are huge. Um, but I, I just wonder if there's a way of okay, can we reuse the the existing ones instead of having to, you know, build new ones all the time? Can we, you know, break those old ones down for parts? I'm sure that that's kind of where that innovation comes in.
1: Oh, definitely. There is no doubt renewable energy is paving the way for the future of energy. Even though renewable green energy is not as clean as policymakers make it out to be, it very well could. The oil and gas industry was incredibly harmful to the environment until industry leaders and policymakers took a a step back to adopt cleaner, best practices for the industry and the environment. Now, the oil and gas industry is one of the most highly environmentally regulated industries And is a leader in paving a path towards clean energy in the future if the renewable sector can follow in these footsteps a balance can be struck between the energy required today and an energy mix that includes the clean green energy needed in the future if the world is ever going to move away from fossil fuels the transition to renewable sources must be cleaner and more efficient not just with greenhouse gas emission reductions
0: therefore it is important to develop a diverse energy strategy Neither hydrocarbons nor renewables can be purely relied upon for energy consumption needs into the future. An allocation mix will continue to exist as more countries develop and energy consumption grows. Investment in renewables is necessary, but we must also focus on figuring out how to make the mining, fabrication, and decommissioning process less harmful to this planet. In order to leave the world in a better shape for future generations, a balance must be struck. To include various sources for subsequent energy development. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, again, I really hope that you guys understand that we're not trying to, you know, trash the renewable sector. I think it's um, it's it's great sector. I think it's really where the the future is headed. I really think that's where energy is headed. But I just, you know, the the purpose of writing this periodical and this podcast is just bring a little bit more information to the forefront of everyone's minds of, okay, you know, maybe there's more to be done before we just transition immediately over to these renewable energy sources.
1: Exactly. We need a balanced, clean portfolio of all energies together. And if you like this piece, make sure to subscribe to the Rare Petro website. I mean, we've got lots of content up there. This periodical and periodical form you can read with lots of figures. This podcast, if you choose to listen to it that way, and a whole slew of other things that we push on the website and LinkedIn. So subscribe to those feeds to keep yourself in the know. But outside of that, I think we're finished up. So we will see you all next week. Arrivederci.